0: If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd worked for all my life, and I had to start again with just my family and my life. I thank my God above to be living here today, cause that flag still stands for freedom, Across the plains of Texas, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston and New York to L.A., well there's pride in it
1: too much to even say about it. I want to be the next to welcome you to Houston Baptist Church this morning. I'm glad to see you. and We've got a few visitors with us. We're thankful for you. And it is nice for some of us to be together that aren't normally together. And uh, that is a great thing as well. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 5. If you want to start turning there. I want to share with you just for a second, if I can. As we have already stated, happy Independence Day. But I want to tell you that the greatest, the greatest independence you could ever know would be the redemption that is available for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you've not ever taken the opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior, that is the most important thing you could do today. It's the most important decision you could make. The Bible is clear that we're all sinners. We all sin. We all come short of the glory of God. Yes. The Bible is clear that the penalty for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Savior. Yes. And so I would ask you today, if you've not ever done that, please consider that today. Of all the else that is said, the most important thing you could hear today is that you need Christ as your Savior. And I hope that you make that decision. We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 5. I've kind of uh, been meditating on this since Thursday when I completed it and gave these notes to Rebecca. So if you take notes, if you use your little note sheet that's in the bulletin, I want you to draw a line through that title, Whose Fault Is It Anyway?, And I want you to write this. Okay, what can I do to help? If you prefer a four step method, you could write Four Steps to Revival. Because I believe either one of those would apply. I want to read uh, the first eight verses of chapter 5 in the book of Isaiah. And then we're going to look at several verses beyond that and just look at uh, some commonalities that I want you to see uh, and things that the Lord has given us that we ought to pay attention to. Uh, Will you stand with me as we read the first eight verses of chapter five? This writing, of course, is by the prophet Isaiah. The subject matter is the nation of Israel. He says, Now will I sing to my well beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it. Also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. And it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go tell, and I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it will be eaten up. And I'll break down the wall thereof, and it will be trodden down. And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of Hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression; for righteousness, but behold, a cry. I hope that when you uh, read that, I hope you get an image. Uh, the image. Let me share it to you this way, with you this way. The image I get is of a raw piece of ground that is stone strewn and someone sees in that piece of ground profitability and beauty. And that someone dedicates himself to making that the most beautiful garden spot in the world. And he picks all those stones up and builds a stone wall and and he tills the ground and he plants everything in perfect rows and he puts a hedge about it for protection and he builds a tower in it so he can keep a watch and he and he puts implements there to harvest this great bountiful return that he'll receive from that garden and what that garden produces is less than desirable fruit. In fact, it's not even good for consumption. And he comes to the conclusion that after all the work and effort, there's nothing more I could have done. This is a foul piece of ground. I'm going to break down the hedge, scatter the stones, and forsake it. That's the picture. The picture is painted of the nation Israel. This is given to the prophet Isaiah. In the next few moments, we're going to see why and what was offered as a solution. I believe it's applicable to our nation today. Would you pray with me and ask the Lord to show you that? Ask Him for clarity and illumination. Asking for a truth that you can apply to your life so that when you leave here today you walk according to it let's pray father we thank you again for this wonderful day and lord this momentous occasion the celebration of our independence and god we have been so blessed and we are indeed blessed still with freedoms that many other nations and countries do not have lord we're grateful for that lord i pray that You would not allow us to take it for granted, but Lord, that we would know the the freedoms that we've been given and that we would utilize them, Lord, in a way that would bring honor and glory to you. Father, I pray today as we look over these few verses that, Father, you'd speak directly to our hearts, that we would be interested, that we would want to be a part of the solution that we would be willing to see the problem lord i pray that you would just work in a special way father if there's one among us who's never been saved and lord that number could be many father i pray that today would be the day they receive christ as their savior and lord father i pray you do work today in jesus name amen you can be seated America is not the first nation founded upon a belief in and blessed by the hand of God. Um, For a minimum, the nation of Israel was the epitome of this. But there have been others, whether we are aware of it or not, or whether history has redefined that or not, are irrelevant to the truth. There have been many. America is not the first. Neither is America the first nation to apostatize away from God. And we are apostatizing. Um, Again, your opinion of that or history's review of that is not relevant to the truth of it. There is an apostasy that has taken place and is continuing. America is not even the first Gentile nation. To apostatize from God. That has occurred before. America is not the first nation to receive judgment and condemnation from God. Though I don't believe we've received the full brunt of it yet. I do believe that we see a lot of it. And we're going to see it worsen. I would pray that we wouldn't. But I'm afraid we will. America is not the first of any of those. But it is, it is my nation and it's your nation. And it's, it's your nation that was founded upon and blessed by the hand of God. It's your nation that has apostatized and is apostatizing away from God. It's your nation that will continue to receive condemnation and judgment. Of God, and so I'm convinced of that issue. You you may or may not be. I I hope that you can see it. I'm I'm concerned about it. I uh, you know uh, the Lord could take me home today, and outside of the loss of my relationships here, the moment my eyes opened in glory, it'd be okay with me. He could do the same. You probably have a similar testimony, but. Uh, you know, I have children and grandchildren that have dreams and desires, and I'm confident that you, as well, have that. And so, I'm I'm concerned. I'm convicted. Uh, when I think about the way we've allowed things to go, and I think about were there areas that I could have done differently, and there were, I can be honest about that. Uh, so then I'm culpable. And I'm connected to the problem. Those are facts for me. I don't know if they're facts for you or not. Uh, I guess we could start by defining briefly apostasy. We've talked about this word a good bit in the last few months. I, I know that's probably you may be tired of hearing such heavy subjects, uh, but apostasy uh, is the the turning away. It is simply the renouncing of faith, if you will. Most accurately stated, it's the act of turning from the truth to a lie. So in Israel's case, it would be turning from the true God to a false God. Uh, prior or post-resurrection, it would be the those who, who uh, expressed a faith in Christ and a belief in a belief in Christianity, and then would later turn from Christianity to uh, either another religion or no religion at all, which is a religion in and of itself. Uh, This idea of apostasy followed by condemnation, followed by judgment, that's as old as history itself. It's not something that, that we're all of a sudden saying, oh no, watch out, there could be. I mean, it's happened. Like we can look at modern history and see that it happened. And we can look at ancient history and see that it happened. We can look at biblical history and see that it happened. Just consider these. There, there, was, a, a, there was a world pre-flood. It was a good world. It's, it's system, it's cosmos, it's natural It's ecology. They were better than what we have today. There, There were people that were still closely related to the first generation couple that walked in the garden with God. It was a good place, but because of apostasy and sin, it was condemned and flooded. That literally happened. That's not a fairy tale or a fable. It happened. And true science will support that. But beyond that, there was another world. Uh, Noah and his sons and their daughters, they get off the ark. They they worship the Lord. God says, uh, scatter and and produce and, and repopulate. And not many generations removed. You have Nimrod and the Tower of Babel. And again, apostasy has occurred. And so God scatters them, disconnects the land, Uh, Scatters them all across the the planet, if you will. Changes their languages. That was a a judgment. For apostasy. And then, not long beyond that, uh, you have Sodom and Gomorrah. And then you have Egypt. And then Jericho. And then Nineveh. And then Israel. And then Babylon. And then Persian. And then Alexander's Greece. And then Rome. Over and over. It's it's, it's, like, it's like a B-rated movie. The same thing keeps happening. And I'm a little passionate about that. I don't know if you can tell. But I don't understand why we can't comprehend. There's a pattern to this problem. The, the answer. I guess the question would be. Uh, you know for Christianity. When you turn from Christianity. What do you turn to? And so by and large. People would turn to uh, either paganism, pantheism, agnosticism, or atheism. I believe, without doing crazy amounts of research, I think you could just about lump everything into that. There there is that paganism that worships completely other deities that are no deity at all. And then there, there is pantheism that worships basically creation. It worships everything. God is in everything, and in everything is God. And if God is in everything, and everything is God, then I'm a thing, and God must be in me, making me God. So if it makes me happy, it makes God happy, I can live my life that way. And America is consumed uh, with that. There, There is agnosticism. There are those that just decide, it's too much to think about, and I just don't know. And then there are those, there are those who... Uh, will claim atheism, uh, but there, there's not as many atheists as you might believe. Most of them, in a pinch, would uh, they would revert. So, so I guess the, the question is, is America a Christian nation? This has been argued a lot in the last... 20 years, you know, we would look at foundation, we would look at fundamentals, we would look at functions. So, uh, as briefly as possible, in foundation, if you believe history, true history, not revisionist history, if you believe history and the records of the pilgrims and those who would be considered the founding fathers, then uh, the answer is an unequivocal, resounding, affirmative, we were founded and intended to be a Christian nation. I didn't say that we were founded and intended to be a Baptist nation. Okay? But we were founded on Christian principles, Christian initiatives, believing that God was the creator. And so, foundationally, yeah, we are. We talk about fundamentals. Fundamentally, is America a Christian nation? That changes a little bit every year. But the fundamentals of our system, that is, law and justice, have at their base the Ten Commandments. Fundamentally, we are a nation of laws. Uh, All civilized governments, for the most part, have at their foundation the Ten Commandments. And we are a nation of law and order. We're structured very closely to the way Moses structured the Judges. And so we can say, yeah, that that foundationally, uh, fundamentally, if you will, we are we're a Christian nation. Then you would say, what about function? I think when you get to function, we just run off the rails. I think that if we're honest about about that, we would have to say we fail that test, and and do so miserably, because a the function of a Christian nation would be to honor the word God, the word of God, and the God of the word to respect the institutions of God, to hold dear the sanctity of life, to seek the guidance of God in all of its actions. It's pretty easy to see that our nation has left a lot of those functions behind. So where do we bring this together? Well, Israel and America have a lot in common. Now hear me. Israel is God's chosen nation that has been set aside for this church age. And at the end of this church age, God will rapture the church and the church will rapture out. The tribulation will begin. Israel will come back to front and center. God will purify them through the tribulation and they will be God's chosen nation on earth. That's factual. So we are not Israel, we're not new Israel, we have not replaced Israel, but we're following in the footsteps of Israel, and that ought to make us quake. Israel was God's chosen nation. I don't believe anybody could argue in the last 245 years uh, that that America is God's chosen nation. Uh, the, the, The way that it's been painted is criminal because if we look at America at its foundation, God has blessed this nation. So when we think about comparing Israel and America, we would come to Isaiah chapter 5. And we would say, what does Isaiah chapter 5 say to us about How Israel was and what God thought about them. Well, in those first eight verses, it said that Israel was God's chosen nation. He wanted to make a beautiful vineyard out of them and they produced wild grapes. And so he tore down the hedges and let them go. What does that say about America? It's a little frightening, isn't it? So I I believe that the first place that we could come is... Uh, Let's let's answer this question. Am I aware of the state of my country? Am I aware? Do I know what's going on? Look at chapter 5 verse 8. I'm going to do this pretty quickly. Verse 8. Woe unto them. Do you see that? Look at chapter 5 verse 11. Woe unto them. Chapter 5 verse 18. Woe unto them. Chapter 5 verse 20. Woe unto them. Verse 21, woe unto them. Verse 22, woe unto them. These are uh, the, the woes, the, the judgments that God is, is reading upon the nation of Israel through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. And uh, I don't want to keep you here all day and I'm confident you don't want to stay here all day. But I would encourage you to read them. And what you're going to read is this. Uh, Woe unto them that join house to house, and he goes in describing this idea of building a little kingdom here on earth, and it's really talking about materialism. What what would you say is one of the problems in America? Would materialism fit in there? Uh, In verse 11, woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink that continue tonight night till wine inflame them. Uh, He will go on to talk there about how uh, they are just uh, uh, controlled by that. He's talking about addiction. What is the problem in America today? Addiction. In verse 18, Woe unto them that draw iniquity, that's sin, with cords of vanity uh, as sin and sin as it were a, with a, uh, as it were, with a cart rope. Uh, he's describing the idea of, of uh, you walking and, and you've got all these ropes attached to you that are attached to iniquities and sins that are evident in your life. And you're walking through life, dragging them behind you. And uh, he says, woe unto those. Uh, but listen, this is the woe. They, they draw iniquity. But look at verse 19. That say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come that we may know it. So they're they're living a life that's riddled with sin and iniquity. Obvious anti-biblical wrongdoing. Obvious. But they're saying with their mouth, "Oh, I hope the Lord does his work." Well, hope the Lord comes quickly, both the Lord judges that wrong. God bless you. They're mocking God because they're living one way and talking another way. Would you say that America has a problem with that? Look at verse 20. "Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil." And put darkness for light and light for darkness. Bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Uh, So this is the simple thing. uh, Woe unto them that pervert the truth. That change the truth. Does America have a problem with that? Look at verse 21. uh, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Here he's talking about intellectualism. Now... Uh, I wanted to go a little more here, but again, we, we've got time constraints. Write down these two passages, Daniel chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, and then in your spare time, go over and read uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, about the first 10 verses. Because these are bookends of the same problem. Daniel says that, that in the end, knowledge will be increased, but it doesn't come with wisdom. But, uh, Paul says to Timothy that there will be uh, an, an ever increasing knowledge or, yeah, of, of learning, excuse me, ever learning, never con, uh, continuing to the knowledge of truth. That's right. So they're, they're learning, 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 but they don't learn the truth. Mm-hmm. Intellectualism. Does America have a problem with intellectualism? How many genders are there? Does America have a problem with intellectualism? And we could, we could do that a hundred times over, couldn't we? Where they, we know, we, it doesn't matter how many degrees you have. It doesn't matter how many papers you write. It doesn't matter how many books you write. It's not true. You can look at life in front of you and realize that is intellectualism run amok. And it is ever increasing in knowledge, but further and further from the truth. Israel had that problem. America has that problem. Look at verse 22. But woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. And then he goes on down and says, which justify the wicked for reward, take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. He he goes on to describe corruption of power. Corruption of power. These people that get in a place of power, and then they corrupt it. Because we know this, right? Power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. And you can see it all the way down to the pro bono mayor of a local city. Power corrupts. Does America have a problem with corruption of power? So there's no debate as far as to the meaning of these verses. I mean, that what I just told you, you can go to a hundred different commentaries and read it. It is what it is. That is what was meant. Those, these are the words of God. Uh, Theophnustos breathed into Isaiah's ears to write it. They're the words of God. They're truth. There's no debate. There's no debate that it, it brought about the eventual ruin of the nation, because at one time Israel was the world power. When David and Solomon, that 80 years right there, those some sweet time for the nation of Israel. And it went downhill very quickly after that. Uh, There's no debate that we as a nation closely resemble these things. You all just agreed with me. There's no debate that we are now and will continue to experience the judgment of God. The, The question is, are we aware of it? We can make an intellectual assent to the truth of it. But are we aware of it? right? Because the, the possibility that someone might break into my house at night causes me to lock the door. The awareness that someone is doing it causes me to get my gun. There's a difference, right? One of those things I lock the door thinking, well, if they come, door's locked. The other thing is they're here. Somebody's fixing to die, Right? I'm going to attack the problem. I'm aware of the problem. I'm going to stand in front of the problem. I'm going to receive that responsibility. Society says all wealth is good. That's a lie. Uh, Doctors tell us that all drugs are good. That's a lie. Heretics tell us that God is all good. And God is all good in the fact that the creator of the known world will do right. But God is also condemnation and judgment. That means wrath. And so some of that's not good. The scientists will tell us that all nature is good. A politician will tell you that they're all good. (laughs) But the only one who really knows us. The only one who really cares for us. The only one that really protects us and preserves us and loves us. Is the one that created us and redeemed us and will return for us. And he's the only one that's good. Only God is good. So the greatest need today in America may be that we become aware of our problems in light of God's word. Look at, turn over to chapter 6. As Isaiah goes through all those woes, his eyes are beginning to be opened. And he was following some local leadership and King Uzziah was a a pretty good king, but he died. And when he died, uh, Isaiah realized he's not the savior. He's not the answer. God's the answer. And so in the death of Uzziah, with all of these woes, uh, Isaiah's eyes begin to flicker light and they see the Lord high and lifted up. They see the actual answer to the problem. When he sees him, there's another woe. But this time, the woe is personal. That's where we pick up in chapter 6 and, and look at verse 5. Then said I, This is Isaiah. He's just seen the Lord high and lifted up. He's seen the seraphim. He's seen the glory of God. He's recognized that. Then said I, Woe is me. Say that out loud Woe is me. Why? I'm undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. Here is, here is the idea that I, I'm now not only aware of the problems of my country because God has told me I am now ashamed of my own involvement. Isaiah said, Whoa, 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 whoa is me. Woe is me, I'm here, I'm in the middle of this. I say some of those things. I do some of those things. I have, I have participated in some of those things and now God has revealed it to me and He's going he's to judge me. Woe is me. It reminds me of that old idiom about the, the first step to receiving help is to admit you have a problem. Isaiah here has admitted, it's me. Woe is me. And and look at those three things that he says, because I believe they speak volumes to us today. I am undone. That means to be destroyed, lost, ruined, or to cease being. As an idiom, it means to be brought to silence. You've nothing else to say. Paul would say that, that when we stand before the... For the law, every mouth should stop. It's when we realize we become aware of these problems, and we realize I'm participating in this problem. I don't have a defense. It's not about rhetoric. It's not about words anymore. Words are just words. You ever heard that? It's not about words anymore. It's, it's about the fact that I'm guilty. I'm culpable, I'm undone. Then he says, I'm unclean. He means to be, he's polluted, he's defiled, he's foul in a religious sense. Christians in America need to find ourselves undone, silent before the Lord. We need to find ourselves in reality and recognize that we are also unclean. We are involved in a lot of the problems. We're responsible for a lot of it. We have have a a presence in our community. We have a presence in our schools. We have a presence in our workforce. We are in the... We're in there. We're a part of it. And then he says, I'm of this generation. Literally meaning that I'm, I'm in the middle of this debauchery I'm around it all the time. I've become numb to it. I've become accustomed to it. I'm guilty of it. It's around me. It's on me. I'm in it. And I would say to you this morning that the church has to come to a realization and a repentance if we seek to see a revival. We can gather three, four, five, six, seven, every day of the week. We can get together and discuss the problems in the world and find examples of them in the scriptures and agree that we're right. But if we don't become undone, take on some responsibility, find some realization that. Hey, some of that's on me and a repentance that God, I I want to repent of that and turn from it and, and, and then look for revival. We can't blame it all on everyone else. We have to accept some responsibility. We have to become ashamed before God. And as for his forgiveness, we have to be aware and ashamed. And then look at verse eight. I'm about to terrify you. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord Saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? So not only do I have to be aware and I have to be ashamed. Also I have to, have, my, have to ask myself this question. Am I attentive to the voice of God? When God speaks into my life, do I hear it? And attentive means obedient. I heard it and I did it. Am I attentive? So the prophet's been listening to God speak. He's, he's, he's prophesied, he's preached, he's pronounced woe upon Israel. And now suddenly, after he's recognized his own association with the problem, he's become ashamed of it, he becomes attentive to the call of God. He's hearing God call. I don't want to scare you too bad. Uh, about 20 years ago, I was reading this passage studying for a 7th and 8th grade Sunday school class that I was teaching and the Lord uh, opened my eyes and I surrendered to preach because I saw it was an open call because that's what it is. God says, well, who, what can I do about this? He he said in chapter five, verse eight, is there anything else I could have done? Then he spends the rest of chapter five telling them everything that they had done wrong. And then he says, Who could I send? How could I change it? What can I do about it? Who will go for me? Who will stand in the gap? Who will make a difference? Because we're quick to admit that the nation needs a revival, but we're very slow to commit to be the revival. We're quick to admit that it needs it, but we're slow to commit to be it. See, that mantra is popular in all circles except for Christian circles, be the change you want to see. Uh, that ought to be, it should have started in the church. Then we see, we need to be about the business of God. It's preaching the gospel here, there, everywhere. That, that may not be literally pastoring or preaching for you, but it would be being intimately involved at the local church level and representing Christ in all avenues of your life. That's sweeping, but that's what it would be. Finally, the latter part of of verse 8, Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Lord, I don't... Look, I want to tell you where this should be at a personal level. Let me give you the words there. Am I available to be a part of the solution? Let me tell you where this should be at a personal level. Preacher, you're right. America's in bad shape. Preacher, you're right. America's a lot like Israel. Uh, Preacher, I agree with the word of God that that Israel was judged. And if we keep going the way we are, we're going to be judged and probably are being judged today. Preacher, I see it. I'm aware now of the problem. In our nation, and 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 preacher, because of what the scripture says there, you brought it to my attention that I'm participatory in this system, and I see that, and I understand that God has a call out there, but now the question is, am I available to be part of the solution? Uh, oh Lord, who can go? Well, I can go. Who could? Who can make a difference on the local school board? Lord, Lord, I can do that. Who can make a difference in the local business association? Lord, I can do that. You've blessed me, God. You've, you've blessed me to be involved in this organization. I can make a difference there. Who can make a difference in the Sunday school class at church? Well, Lord, I could do that. Yeah. Who, who could make a difference in my neighborhood? Well, Lord, I could do that. Do You see that? Who will go? Well, well here I am. I, Lord, I, look, it's me, God. I, Corey, remember you, you died on the cross for me. Hey, let me do something. I can do that. Lord, just give me a chance because I see it and I'm recognizing that I'm a part of it. And God, I'm so ashamed of it and I want to be available. God, let me go. Give me something to do. Whatever it is, God, I'll do it. We know that we're part of the problem. The question is, are we willing to be a part of the solution? Would you stand with me this morning? Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. Uh, That's the only question. And Isaiah answered it for us. It's not always that way. But he answered it for us. And so we know this morning there's a right answer. The question, are you willing to give that answer? Would you come this morning and pray for our nation, for our community, for our church? Would you come this morning and say, Lord, here I am. Send me, use me. God, let me participate. Would you come, the altar's open. I I pray that you'll do something with the Lord this morning. Father, thank you for this invitation. I pray you'd bless it in Jesus' name. way just for a minute thank you so much for being here today thank you for your attentiveness i hope that you'll go this afternoon and enjoy your family and celebrate and fireworks and cookouts and all that but more than that i hope in the quiet moments you'll think about am i attentive and am i available i believe you are i believe we just need to be about the lord's work Thank you so much for being here. Brother Scott, would you close us in prayer?